You know, we continue to reap the blessing of the vision of Pastor Kelly, Calvary Christian School, and uh, his mother and her vision to have a Christian bookstore here in this town. What a blessing Bessie was. And uh, that, that ministry has been carried on. And uh, it's part of the tentacles of this church. I was talking to a lady on the phone yesterday. Uh, she was asking a little bit about the ministry. And I was just telling her about the tentacles. I don't know any other way to describe it. It's uh, the outreach that this church has. And uh, we're thankful for it. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we thank you on this Christmas Eve for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray that you would help us to see him today. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Returning in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. What we'd like to do this morning is to continue, as the choir sang last Sunday night, to celebrate the Savior. Christmas is a wonderful time of year, and I can't help in thinking that, to think that at the same time, it's a very dangerous time of year. The danger is twofold. The first danger is familiarity. We're going to talk or mention several times in this message this morning the song that the choir sang last Sunday night and the children sang. Do you know the story? The choir asked the question. The children answered, yes, we know the story. But what is it meaning? What is it doing? What impact is knowing the story? having in our lives? Is it just a familiarity? The other danger is categorizing or confining the message of Christmas to these few weeks in December. The evidence of both dangers are the passages here in the Word of God with which we're so familiar and that get seasonalized confined to a particular time of the year, like Easter, Thanksgiving. The verses that deal with the birth of Christ in many ways are treated like that. Every year, we treat them to some degree like we do our Christmas decorations. You know how that goes. Every year, um, first part of December... One year we got carried away and we put our Christmas tree up on November the 11th. But the, the, the children and the grandchildren were so shocked we were afraid to do it that early again. But every year we get out the boxes, we go to our closets or our attics, our basements, and we take out our decorations and we unwrap them and we clean them up 
and we put them up. And they shine very brightly for a few weeks. But then when Christmas is over, we take them down, we box them up, we put them away for another year. To some degree, that's what we do with the message of Christmas. Today, we want to take a few minutes to gaze in wonder at the light of the message of Christmas and let it shine, not only today, but continue to shine in our hearts and in our minds as we leave this place. We have come to Matthew chapter 2 because these are among the familiar verses. And I want us to just notice three words in verse 1 that are the title of our message this morning. Jesus was born. Jesus was born. His birth, no matter what the secular humanist attempt to do, his birth is the dividing point of all history. His birth, his life, his death are the most important events, not only in time, but in eternity. And yet how many times do we really think about it during this season? This season that is supposed to celebrate the Savior. The little saying that we used to see, but we certainly don't see it as much as we used to, is still true. The little saying, it, it almost sounds trite, but it's very true. Jesus is the reason for the season. That saying has been modified to say, remember the reason for the season. It's been modified to remove the most offensive word, the most offensive name in human language, the name Jesus, the name to which every knee should bow. And the sight of that name, the hearing of that name, is either a comfort or a conviction. It's either a blessing or it's an offense. Which is it to you this morning? Whether the world likes it or not, Jesus is the reason for the season. It's not shopping, it's not family gatherings or presents. Those things are part of the season, but they're not the reason for the season. It's the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ that we're celebrating. But somehow that tends to get lost in all of these other things. I was thinking about a verse that could very easily describe Christmas in America. It's Mark chapter 4 and verse 19. And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things entering in choke the word and it becometh unfruitful. The cares of this world, that word cares, if you look it up, it's word number 3308 in the Greek dictionary of the Strong's Concordance, and it means care. It also means anxiety. And that meaning of this word is important to think about. Anxiety is a feeling of worry. 
It's a feeling of nervousness or unease about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. That's one of the best descriptions of Christmas in America that you'll ever find. This feeling of worry and nervousness and unease about an imminent event coincides with the beginning of the shopping season. Families trying to figure out how they're going to pay for all the presents they're going to be buying. That's kind of thrown to the wind. And we get out the credit cards and we just, we'll worry about that later. But there's another meaning of this word cares. When you look this word up, you find it comes from another word through the idea of distraction. Distraction. In other words, the cares of this world, the anxiety of this world, the worry and the, the nervousness and the unease of the shopping season that begins in earnest at Thanksgiving, it's a distraction. Not only to the day of Thanksgiving, but it's a distraction from the meaning and the message of Christmas. It's a reminder how cunning Satan is. He's neutralized two critical holidays in this country through the deceitfulness of riches, through the desire to get and give. He's neutralized to a great degree Thanksgiving and Christmas. The word riches in that verse means abundance of external possessions. And beginning on Thanksgiving Day and continuing through Christmas Eve, don't head to Pinecrest Plaza when you get out of here, I'll guarantee you. The people of this nation are occupied with two things primarily. First, how to get an abundance of possessions to give and receive as gifts. And the second thing that the people of this nation are occupied with is the worry and the nervousness of, and the unease of how we're going to pay for the abundance of these external possessions. This is a distraction. And the result is that the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches, what good does it do for people to receive gifts if they've never received the greatest gift, the Lord Jesus Christ. The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things entering in choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. It chokes the word of Matthew 2.1 that Jesus was born. Those are very powerful words. And yet how many times do I think on them? How many times do you think on them during this season? Jesus was born. We want to think about those words for a few minutes. The first one is Jesus. Who is Jesus? His name tells us. The name Jesus means Jehovah is salvation. The name Jesus is a word of Hebrew origin. 
That means the same in Hebrew and it means the same in Greek. Jehovah is salvation. The name Jehovah means Lord. It means the existing one. And to be the existing one means that Jehovah is without father, without mother, without beginning of days nor end of life. It means that he's the everlasting God. It means that from everlasting to everlasting, as the psalmist wrote, from eternity past to eternity future and everywhere in between, he is God. This name Jehovah is the name Lord. We find it 6,510 times in the Old Testament. All through the Old Testament, we find Jehovah. And then we come to the New Testament, and we read that Jesus was born. Jesus, whose name means Jehovah, is salvation. And when we see that, the only conclusion that we can come to is that Jesus is Jehovah. Jesus is the existing one, without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. This is exactly what the Old Testament prophets foretold. Keep your place here in Matthew and look back at Isaiah chapter 9, if you will. This morning, we want to take a very quick trip to look at as many verses as we can concerning the Christmas story. Look at Isaiah chapter 9. And verse 6, it's a familiar verse. But it's exactly the kind of verse that we get distracted from during this time of year. Isaiah 9 and verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. We're reading here Isaiah's prophecy of this child who is going to be born. His prophecy of this son who is going to be given. Notice that language. Unto us a son is given. Isaiah has been called the Gospel of John of the Old Testament. And when we read these words here, it brings to mind... John 3.16, unto us a son is given. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the son that is given that Isaiah is prophesying of. And notice what, what, what he tells us about the, the name of this son. The name of this child is wonderful, counselor, the mighty God, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Isaiah tells us that this child that's going to be born, this son that is going to be given, is none other than the mighty God, the everlasting Father. Do we know the story? Do we know the story? Yes, we know the story. But how many times in the worry and the nervousness and the, the, the unease of this Christmas season. 
as those thoughts pass through our mind fleetingly, but they pass through, how are we going to pay for this? How many times are we distracted from this wonderful thought? God became a man. Look back a page to another familiar portion of Scripture. Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Isaiah tells us that this son who will be born, his name shall be called Emmanuel. And you don't have to look this word up in the Strong's Concordance. Because the Spirit of God tells us what this name means. Look back, let's go back to Matthew chapter uh, 1. Matthew chapter 1. And look at verse 23. Because the Spirit of God quotes the verse that we just read in Isaiah 7, 14. Let's look at verse 22. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Now verse 23 could have stopped right there. But the, the, the Spirit of God wants us to know the meaning of the word. To make it clear in our minds who Jesus is. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. God with us. That's what his name's going to be. Now, if you want to, uh, hold your place here and look at uh, John chapter 1. I want us to, to put eyes on these verses. I think that's important to do. Uh, to put our eyes on them as, as much as we can this morning, as, as much as time will allow. John chapter 1, and look at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now look at verse 14. And the Word, the Word is God. The Word was made flesh. And dwelt among us. God was made flesh. Emmanuel. God with us. The Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy. In 1 Timothy 3.16. And he said without controversy. Great is the, uh, is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. And so that's what Matthew is telling us here. In verse 1 of chapter 2, Jesus was born. God, the Jehovah God of the Old Testament, the Creator, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus was born. God stepped out of eternity into time when he was born into this world. And his birth was miraculous. We just read the prophecy. 
In Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. God would be born of a virgin. He would have no earthly father, because he's the everlasting father. He's without father. He has neither beginning of days nor end of life. He's the eternal God. He did not need a human father. But as we think about these things, and they're wondrous to think about, as we think about them, we ask the same question in our minds, at least it comes to our minds, the same question that Mary asked when the angel Gabriel came to her and announced the Lord's birth. Look over at Luke chapter 1, if you will. Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1 and verse 30. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. Gabriel tells Mary that she's going to conceive and she's going to bring forth a son and call his name Jesus. Now we've been talking about Isaiah 7, 14. And how that verse says that, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And then we come here to Luke chapter 1, and the angel tells Mary, Thou shalt call his name Jesus. Why didn't Gabriel tell Mary, Thou shalt call his name Emmanuel? It's because the name Emmanuel and the name Jesus mean exactly the same thing. In the mind of God, in, in the language of heaven, if you will, the name Jesus means Emmanuel. The name Jesus not only means Jehovah is salvation, but I believe when we compare Scripture with Scripture, it also means God with us because that's who Jesus is. Verse 32, He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? Have you ever asked that question when you think about Christmas? How can this be? How could it be? That's the question that comes to our minds. But notice Gabriel's answer in verse 35. And the angels answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the high shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. The Lord Jesus was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the message of verse 35, the picture of this verse is so critical. Gabriel tells Mary how the Lord Jesus is going to be conceived in her. The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the high shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. 
Those words are not confined to Mary. These words, and we've been taught this in this church. I remember the first time I ever heard it. The first time I ever heard it was here in this church. Been in church all my life. Good churches. Churches that preach the gospel. But it was here in this church, Pastor Kelly, talking about how verse 35 is a description of how salvation takes place in the life of every child of God. If you're saved this morning, it's because there came a time in your life when the Holy Ghost came upon you. The Spirit of God, whose ministry here in this world is to move upon the face of the waters of the Word of God to bring conviction of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And if you're saved today, there was that time when you when the Holy Ghost came upon you, he moved upon the waters of the Word of God, and you were convicted, and you turned to God from your sin. You repented of your sin, and you cried out to God to save you. And at that moment, the power of the highest overshadowed you. The Lord Jesus, by a miracle of God, was conceived in your heart, in the same way that he was conceived in the womb of Mary, by the power of the Holy Ghost, and you were born again, and you became a child of God by faith in Christ Jesus. That's the message of the virgin birth. It's not the message of Mary. It's the message of the new birth. It's the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the mystery, Paul writes, which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of his glory of this ministry among the Gentiles. And what is that ministry? Christ in you, the hope of glory. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior, he's been conceived in you, just as he was conceived in Mary. By the power of the Holy Ghost. That takes Mary off any kind of pedestal. It takes you and me off any kind of pedestal. And exalts the one, the only one who is worthy. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. The virgin birth presents to us the miracle of salvation. And it presents to us something of our condition before God. You and I are so wicked. We're so depraved. We're so sinful. We're so helpless. Without hope. That only the blood of God himself. Can save us. And that's what flowed in the veins. Of the Lord Jesus Christ. Dr. M.R. DeHaan. Who was a medical doctor had a ministry on the radio for many, many years, the radio Bible class. He wrote about this in, in his little book, The Chemistry of the Blood. It's, a, it's a, an amazing book. I would encourage you, if you don't have it, to go to the Christian bookstore and get a copy of it. 
Dr. DeHaan says the very fact that sin affected the blood of man. I wish we had more time to talk about this. He, Dr. DeHaan takes two verses and he connects them. In Leviticus chapter 17 where God says the life of the flesh is in the blood. And he connects that to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7 where we read that the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Man's blood was alive. Life is connected to the blood. But when man sinned, his blood died, if you will. Now there's not life in that blood. There's death in that blood, and it's passed on it's passed on passed on to you and me it's passed on and, and this is where this old rotten nature comes from it's passed from generation to generation to generation but Dr. Hahn says the very fact that sin affected the blood of man necessitated the virgin birth of Christ if he was to be a son of Adam and yet a sinless man for this very reason, Christ could partake of Adam's flesh, which is not inherently sinful, but he could not partake of Adam's blood, which was completely sinful. And so God provided a way by which Jesus, born of a woman, not a man, born of a virgin, could be a perfect human being. But because he had not a drop of Adam's blood in his veins, he did not share in Adam's sin. There's something that we need to remember. We need to remember that the Lord Jesus is the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Folks, the cross was not God's plan B. It was not his plan B. It wasn't his just-in-case plan. It was his only plan. It was the only thing in his mind and heart before the foundation of the world. And the preparation for the Lord Jesus to be a son of Adam and yet a sinless man. The plan for the virgin birth began in eternity past. And it was carried out in time with the creation of the woman. And the way in which she was created. Dr. DeHaan points out how wonderfully God prepared for the virgin birth of his son. When he created woman, he made her so that no blood would be able to pass from her to her offspring. He goes into great detail in his book about this. And as a medical doctor, that's exactly what he can do. In order to produce a sinless man who would yet be the son of Adam, God provided a way whereby that man would have a human body derived from Adam but have blood from a separate source. And this glorious truth, as, as he mentions, is demonstrated in a verse, and I know you've turned to a lot of verses, but I want you to turn to this verse. And I want you to see something here that um, Dr. DeHaan points out, and I want to warn you, I want you to not drop your Bible, but I want you to get a firm hold of your seat. 
so that you don't just fly up out of it. This, this is just glorious. Hebrews 2 and verse 14. Paul says here, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also likewise took part of the same. There's two critical words, two wonderful words in that verse. The first one is the word partakers. That word means to share fully. And it applies to the children. It applies to you and me. We are partakers. We share fully in Adam's flesh and in his sinful blood. But when we read about the Lord Jesus Christ... The Spirit of God uses a completely different word. The words took part are one Greek word that means to take part but not all. But I want to tell you something. When you read this verse, you don't even have to know the meaning of the Greek words. The English words tell us. You and I are partakers of flesh and blood. The Lord Jesus took part, part of. He took Adam's flesh, but not Adam's blood. Isn't this book amazing? He took his flesh, but not his blood. And so the blood of the Lord Jesus was the result of his supernatural conception by the Holy Ghost. His blood was the blood of God. God was his father, and therefore all of the blood which flowed in his veins is the blood of God. And, and the Holy Spirit is so careful in preserving this line of truth here in his word. Not only here in Hebrews 2 and verse 14, but in Luke chapter 3. If you'll turn there, Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3 and verse 23. And Jesus himself began to be about 30 years of age. Being as was supposed the son of Joseph. He wasn't the son of Joseph. But that was what was supposed. In chapter 2 and verse 41 Notice the language here. The Lord's parents went to um, Jerusalem to the feast. They're on their way back. And the Lord's not with them. And, of course, he was in the temple. He was asking the doctors of the law questions. He was hearing them and asking them questions. And then they find him. And notice what... We read in verse 48, And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And immediately the Lord corrects her. He said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wish ye not that I must be about my father's business? The Lord's very quick to remind Mary who his father is. Go back to Matthew chapter 1 again. We aren't going to read through all of these. But Matthew chapter 1 begins with the 
genealogy of the Lord Jesus through David. If you read through these verses, there's one word that's repeated over and over and over again. It's the word begat. It's repeated 39 times until you come to verse 16. And when you come to verse 16, you read that Jacob begat Joseph. Jacob was Joseph's father. Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Of whom? That's a reference to Mary. Of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ? The Lord Jesus was not born of natural generation. He was born of God. And all of these things are here in these words. Jesus was born. And yes, we know these things. Yes, we know the stories, the choir and the children sang last Sunday night. But how many times are we distracted from the story? By the wonder of the story. By the anxiety and the, the, the hustle and bustle and rush of the season. One other point. Jesus was born. But why was he born? It's very interesting to notice how many times in the Bible when the Spirit of God tells us about the coming of the Lord Jesus, his first coming into the world. In the same passage, he'll tell us why he came. We find that in the very first one, in Genesis 3.15, where we read the story of the, 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 the prophecy of the coming seed of the woman. And immediately, we read how the serpent is going to bruise his heel. He's going to bruise the heel of the seed of the woman. The bruising of the heel of the Lord Jesus took place on the cross of Calvary. In Isaiah 53, in verse 2, we read concerning the Lord Jesus, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. And the very next words tell us that the Lord Jesus hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Why? Why is there no beauty that we should desire? Well, the previous chapter, Isaiah 52 and verse 14 tells us, His visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. And this one who would grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground, he would be despised and rejected of men. He would be a man of sorrows. He would be acquainted with grief. He would bear our griefs and carry our sorrows. And it would make his visage to be marred more than the sons of men because of our sins. The Lord would lay on him the iniquity of us all. The Spirit of God in these passages tells us about the coming of the Lord into the world. And he tells us why he came. He does that in the New Testament. Luke chapter 2. When the shepherds came uh, to the manger, the angel told them, you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. Swaddling clothes speak to us of the grave clothes that the Lord Jesus would wear after his death on the cross. We see the same thing here in Matthew chapter 2. Look at verse 11. And when they, the wise men, were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. 
It was brought out in the cantata last Sunday night. That gold speaks to us of the Lord Jesus. It speaks of his deity, his divine righteousness. Frankincense speaks to us of the fragrance of his life. And how that fragrance was a sweet savor to his father. The Lord Jesus did always those things that pleased his father. But then we come to the gift of myrrh. Myrrh speaks of his death. Mark tells us that on the cross, they gave him to drink wine mingled with myrrh, but he received it not. John tells us in his account that after the death of the Lord Jesus, that Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight, to prepare his body for burial. So as we read about the Lord's coming into the world, we, the Spirit of God always wants to make it plain why he came. Another reference to that is here in uh, verse 1 and 2. These wise men ask this question, where is he that is born king of the Jews? The king of the Jews. The first time, this is the first time we find these words, king of the Jews. We find these words spoken three times in the book of Matthew. They were spoken in sincerity from these wise men who were seeking the Savior. They were spoken in judgment by Pilate at the trial of the Lord Jesus. They were spoken in mockery and derision by the soldiers. And then they were written as an accusation upon his cross. Those words spoken by the wise man at his birth are the foreshadowing of his death. Jesus was born. And the reason that he was born was to die on the cross of Calvary for our sins. But we know the story, don't we? We know the story, don't we? But how many times have we thought about it this Christmas season? How many times have we been distracted from these thoughts by the anxiety of the season, by the worry and the nervousness and the uneasiness that begins to set in or that will begin to set in in many homes on Tuesday morning after all of the excitement and all the packages are opened? We know the Lord today what characterizes our celebration of Christmas. Is it worship? Is it remembrance? Is it thanksgiving? Or is it worry and nervousness and uneasiness? Listen, folks, I've been there. I'm not making up some theoretical thing. I've been there and wondered, oh, Christmas Day was great. But boy, the day after, you have to start worrying about how in the world we're going to pay for all this stuff. And, and, and what is lost, the tragedy of it, is the rejoicing in the birth of our Savior. He came not to be a babe in a manger. If you're lost today, he didn't come just to be a babe in the manger. That's just where the message begins. He came to be the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. He came to be the one sacrifice for sins forever, and he accomplished that on the cross where he bore your sins in his own body on the tree. Do you know the story? Do you know the story? 
The answer to that question is a resounding yes. You know the story. But the most important question that you'll ever consider is, have you believed the story? Have you believed it? The difference between knowing the story and believing the story is the difference between heaven and hell. Right now, right where you are, you can believe the story. You can turn to the Lord Jesus from your sin. That's repentance. And you can trust him and him alone to be your Savior. And then think about it. For the first time in your life, you can do what the choir sang about last Sunday night. You can celebrate the Savior. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for the Savior. We thank you for this amazing and wonderful story. We pray that we would gaze in wonder today at the message of Christmas that takes us directly to the cross of Calvary. We pray that there are any here today who have never put their faith and trust in you. We pray that right now, in the quiet of their heart, they would turn to the Lord Jesus and trust him as their Savior and have him born in their hearts today. If we know you, we pray that we would be those who tell the story Make known abroad the saying, just as the, the, the shepherds did. Make known abroad the saying which we have learned from your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name.